Well, I'm glad you're here again this evening and for our lesson number two of the angels. Before I do that, um, I promised last week if you brought your sheet back and you needed some uh, some answers, I, I would give them to you. So if you've got some questions on it or something that you want to bring up, now would be the time to do so. Um, if not, catch me after class. I've got... I wrote down the answers for me so I can remember what it was. There's also one back there for this lesson, back there on the uh, pedestal standing there by the steps. If you need one, uh, if you didn't get one, maybe you can raise your hand and Johnny's back there, maybe he'll bring you one. Um, hopefully you've got one and we'll get ready to go here and see where we're at. If, uh, there we go. All right, the title of our lesson is, of course, Angels and, and Demons. You know, where's my button? There it is. There they are, demons. And I thought we'd kind of review last week just real quickly. For those that might not have been here, wants to, wants to catch up a little bit, we'll do that. And we'll look at it by reviewing lesson number one very quickly. There's a fascination of the unseen. That was one of the things that we mentioned right off the bat. Angels are mysterious, and, and their unseenness, if I can use that word, I may have made one up, but their, their, their ability not to be seen, how's that? That's better. It makes them all the more fascinating to us because our imagination can tend to drift with us. Without Bible knowledge, people can be easily, uh, can easily form misconceptions or become misinformed, and even with some Bible knowledge, we can do that because of the influences that we have from from the outer outer world. It's kind of like I always think about Christmas cards, and we see the three wise men, and they're always on a camel, and there's always this star above them, and that's our picture most of the time when we think of the three wise men when we read through the chapter. And more than likely, they didn't look anything like that picture postcard, but that's what sticks in our mind, and angels are kind of the same way. We get uh, the the uh, idea in our head of what they're like, and we got, kind of lock in on that. The supreme misleader, the head angel, if you would, was Satan. We talked about that, and that angels were messengers, whether they were for messengers from God or messengers from Satan himself. He has his angels as well. They can assume any form that God wants. If you remember, even uh, one of the, the ones that always fascinated me was the uh, burning bush, where it said the angel of the Lord uh, appeared in this bush. And, it, of course, you know, it didn't burn up, uh, but there was a fire there. So this angel appeared as fire. They appeared as humans. They've appeared as animals and uh, where the donkey speaks and all those things. So... So it's not just the little winged creatures we think of. They can be in many different forms. They sang and rejoiced at creation. We see that in the scriptures. And they also, the scriptures tell us that they sing when a sinner repents. They're, uh, they're, it's, they're, it's, a, it's a happy bunch, at least some of them are. That, uh, and a, a pretty, I'd love to hear their chorus. And that's one of the things also that uh, we think about with the announcement of Jesus uh, birth, where we, the angels opened up the heavens and sang. You know, and what a what a sight for those three 
uh, wise men that could hear that. The angels have some sort of a rank. We look at, if you have angels, I call them ordinary angels. That's probably not a correct term. But angels, and then you have the archangels, and you have kind of the tendency that they are, there's different levels of angelic beings. And, of course, they are not ghosts, but they're spirits. There's a difference in that. And the common characteristics of the angels we want to look at, created to serve. They, they can serve either God or they can serve mankind, as well as, of course, the ones that serve Satan. Uh, the ones that, you know, the, we know of, they said they minister to us. We don't know exactly how that works. It's not explicit in how it works or what ways or anything like that, but it does say that they are to serve the saints, which is those in the household of faith. And we're just kind of, to be honest about it, we're just kind of glad they do. You know, They're always male, or at least appear in the scriptures as male. There's not a mention that I could ever find that there was a female angel. Now, that may seem kind of funny in a way because I, when we look at humans... And this is kind of a general statement, so ladies and gentlemen, please don't throw things at me. But I think that women tend to be more uh, compassionate than than us men do. At least in my household, it's that way. I mean, I'll, I cry a lot, but not near as much as my wife does. So I think that women do that, and yet these angels are here to show compassion. And we see them only in male form, which I thought was kind of an interesting uh Concept. Most of the paintings that we see, they're adults. Uh, the angels are, they're female, uh, mostly blonde, and I don't know why, but you don't see very many dark headed angels. Uh, they're mostly blonde, and, and they're always very pretty, and, and they're uh, in uh, uh, these outfits that are tailor made and just form fitting, and they're just have the perfect figure and the fer- perfect face, and they're just so wonderful and lovely. You know, so uh, something to notice as you see the pictures of the angels are usually, by the way, dressed in white. And the scripture des- de- uh, describes them as being dressed in white quite often when they make their appearances. Excuse me, just a minute. Acts ten. Uh, where the uh, ascension of Jesus was mentioned, and we see that as as being dressed in white, you know, as it goes up, uh, they were dazzling and they were awesome, uh, and sometimes scary. Uh, Matthew twenty eight one through four is John's vision, and John describes it pretty pretty scary. He was kind of afraid of them. Revelations. Uh, 10.1, excuse me, is John's version. Matthew 28.1-4 talks about the Roman guards outside the tomb and about how they were frightened to the point to where they were almost dead. They just froze totally, couldn't do anything. And uh, so that's not exactly what we think about all the time with angels, that they would cause you to actually go almost into a, uh, a not a coma, but, you know, where they just, is a, so they appeared dead. Go ahead, I can't hear you, but... Hurry. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of passages that I sometimes I wonder if it's angels or if it's God talking. 
the first one is when Abraham and Sarah find out that they're going to have a baby. And there was three men walking. And Abraham you know, killed the fatted calf and, and, and tended to them. And then in another passage I read, Greek word, God was talking to them. And in another passage I read, where the angel was talking to Sarah. And sometimes in those passages, I don't know whether to think those three men were angels or one was one of them actually God. Now I understand that the angel is a messenger for God and does things for God. But sometimes in those passages, that one in particular, I'm trying to figure out, were those angels or was one of them God? Is that a fair question? That's 17, 16, is that right? Yeah, when, the, when the angels appeared to Abraham, he wasn't sure either. If you remember, when they came up, they wasn't sure. When we look at the burning bush, for instance, uh, we mentioned a minute ago that the voice was the voice of God, but the thing that he saw was the, was the angel of the Lord. So there's, you know, that, that may be a combination of those two things that we see uh, for those, you know, for the angel kind of uh, being one time, it looks like it's it's God speaking, but if it is, it's because the angels are carrying his word. Uh, I don't know if that if that's a real clarification. Mike, you got something? If we, if we keep reading in Genesis, the uh, two, the two, there was two angels, one or three, two were angels, one the angel of the Lord, We're just not quite enough information given to us to where we can really define. You know, the angel of the Lord was that was was that a different angel than say Michael or, or Gabriel? We don't you know we don't know those things. Uh, we do know where it's mentioned and they are named, yes. But when it's the angel of the Lord, uh, there are many people that that believe that was was Jesus at that time. So you know, there's a there's a whole aspect in there that we just don't know unfortunately you know but when we get there we'll be able to ask those questions don now the lord appeared to him by the oaks of the man while he was sitting at the tent or at the party of the day and then two months later he saw he looked up and saw three men like mike said two angels it does go on to say the two angels went down to the sun and tomorrow and it does appear the angel of the lord was the lord himself, like he said before you. And that's opposed to what we get with uh, the announcement uh, to Mary. 
you know, that one was, was specific. It was Gabriel. You know, they said, yeah, Gabriel's the one that announced to Mary. But we don't always get that in the others. But it's a good point. So if you, if you don't mind, we'll go ahead and move a little further as we go. Because I'll know I'm going to run out of time as it is. So let's see. Here we go. Some good, some bad. We know about that in the angels. There's some of them follow Satan. Uh, and they follow him right out of heaven into a, uh, a place that they really didn't, I don't think, wanted to go. But, or at least they won't. They communicate as messengers. They communicate to, to human beings in different forms. They don't marry or have offsprings. And that's kind of an interesting point if you look at the um, uh, Genesis back in chapter 2. A lot of people have a hard time with with the uh, reference there of the uh, the um, the children of the sons of God and the the wives uh, of angels or something similar to that, and they said, "Oh, well, they intermarried and they had you know these giants. The giants were there. We know that, but the actual they did not reproduce. Angels didn't. So they that's not what was there in Genesis chapter two." And that's probably a whole lesson in itself that I don't want to get into. But I did want to at least make that statement. This would prove that that's not men marrying spiritual bodies and having offspring. So I think that was uh, something that we want to do. It's, it's just basically an, an analogy for godly and for the ungodly, if you really look at it in its context. And is that Paul? No, okay. You got something? Just speak up, so. You brought up the book of Enoch, and in there it does say that the angels did come into women and have Nephilim, which would be the offspring of angels. I'm sorry, my ears are bad. I couldn't hear you. Can you say that again? Last week you brought up the book of Enoch, and in that it says the angels did come into women and that they produced Nephilim. Wouldn't that be offspring of angels? Right. Well, we talked a little bit about Enoch last week and about uh, the writings of Enoch, and and he named some the, some of the angels that's not named in scriptures. And by the second or third century, they kind of pretty much dismissed that as being inspired. So, uh, and that's not to take anything away from it, but it's uh, it's not what you know going back to the actual scriptures that we have here. So, okay. Uh, Intelligent, but uh, but omni. Uh, I can't. I script this word every time I try to say it. Omni. Uh, om, omniscient. No, not omniscient. Omniscient. Is that it? Did I get it, Mike? Omniscient. Okay. That's of course. Omniscient is all knowing. They couldn't make it in my English. They had to put it in theirs. It's all knowing. They know everything, and they don't know everything. They, uh, we see a couple of scriptures where it says, for instance, one uh, where they couldn't understand, and I'll repeat this probably again, because it's always been a fascination to me that the angels didn't understand the plan of salvation. Why would why would you God make a you know a, a being that would turn against you? Well, you know, uh, they looked at, desired to look into it. Well, Peter said that that's. That's uh, what he was was telling them. He was telling them this, revealing this plan of salvation and what God had in mind before 
uh, before the angels knew about it. They were just hearing about it from the first time when we did, from Peter, when it was revealed to him. And he puts it into language to where even I think the angels would understand at that point. They're not omnipotent, which means uh, they're not all-powerful. They have power. Don't get me wrong. They are very powerful, but they don't have all power. God controls them. God allows them to do what they need to do. Second Peter 2 and 4 and, and Jude 6 gives you some references for that. And they're not omnipresent as well, which we see in Daniel where um, uh, they were moving from place to place. He said, I didn't get here to tell you this because I was busy over here doing this one. And if he had been omnipresent, he could have been in both places at once, like, like the Lord is. But he, they weren't that way at all. They are not to be worshipped. We see that in a couple of different places. Where when they came in contact with angels, physically, uh, physical people, human people, wanted to, to worship. John, for one, wanted to bow down. And then the angel says, get up, I'm, I'm a servant just like you are. You don't need to worship me. Uh, again, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're not divinity. So they're not like we would, we would think they would be. We think of them as being divine, but the divine belongs to the God in Christ and the, and the Holy Spirit. There's powerful beings, I mentioned before, but they are powerful beings with responsibilities. They don't do things on their own. They are told what they need to be done. There's a, um, writings in the rabbis that, that talk a lot about angels. And one of the things that they say in this rabbinical writings is that some of the angels were created for a specific purpose. They would say, God would say, I want to hear a hymn. And boom, he would create an angel. The angel would sing the hymn, and then poof, it would be gone. That was their writings to that. That's not, we don't see that in, in our scriptures. We see it in rabbinical writings. But it's something that uh, you may hear of at some time or another. They um, are not spared from disobedience. We see that where, the, where Satan talked at least one-third, according to the scripture, one-third of the angels into leaving heaven, leaving God and following him, believing he'd convinced them that he was going to be God, that he was going to take over for, for, the, for the real God, not, not he would be an imitation God, and he wasn't going to take over, but he convinced those angels to go with him, and, of course, they were uh, executed out, or not executed, uh, excommunicated out of heaven, got kicked out for that particular reason. Went backwards, did I? They maintain a hierarchy. We kind of mentioned that a while ago about a rank, and we see that where some of them are are, uh, in uh, the Lord's army, whether or not they have sergeants and privates. I'm not sure about that, but they all have ranks, and the archangels are the more, are most powerful that we see evidence of in Scripture. They are inferior to God, but they're superior to humans, at least now. Now, after judgment, it says that we will, we will be in charge. We'll be, the angels will serve us, and we will be in command of them. However that works out, that's all that we know about for sure. 
And, of course, there are countless numbers wherever you want to go in there to find their numbers. It's tens of tens of thousands of thousands of thousands, and it just uh, basically saying we can't number them. We don't know what it is. Hebrews 12:22 and, and uh, Revelations 5:11. They were created with free will, and this has always been—I uh, won't say always been—it's kind of a problem, at least for me. Uh, Mike and I discussed this for uh, probably an hour or so the other night and didn't accomplish anything. I don't think, as far as res- resolving anything, but this free will is is really something that's fascinating that God would do, that he would give the angels free will, and yet they had no plan for repentance. So it's kind of, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, God made us with free will. With us, he gave us a plan to come back to him. The angels didn't get it. They got kicked out. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. No pleading guilty. No, you know, we're sorry. It's too bad. You're gone. And yet he, did, he loved humans as much that, uh, that he, he didn't do that. He gave us a plan, someplace that we could, could rest on. Uh, I put down a couple of comments to think about. Maybe uh, because they were in the presence of God, more was expected of them than it was with us. That's a possibility. Uh, perhaps they weren't... Uh, they, because they weren't created in God's image. They were created with free will, but they weren't created with God's image. We were created both with free will and created in his image. Uh, one of the, the sources I looked through is that <laughs> so they may be ser- they may be where they were serving a probationary period when God gave all the angels at creation, when he made those, and we're on a probationary period, see how well you do. And if you don't do very well, we'll do something else. Well, that may or may not be. Uh, to me, it was a little more extravagant theory than what I'd like to look at. But uh, in his image, we know, separates man from, uh, from the animals, from the angels, because we not only have the free will, but we, have, we are in his image. Animals are not, the angels are not, nothing else is except Man. And his image then qualifies us for uh, redemption and grace. I, I think I got behind them a little. Yeah, I did. I get to talking and forget about my slides back up here. So, so we know that God loves his creation, man. I mean, all we got to do is look at John 3.16. God, not only does he love man, but he, uh, he showed his creation how much he loved man by actually trading his, the life of his beloved son for your life and mine. Willing to dwell in us as his temple, making us saints. He didn't do that to the angels. He didn't do that to any of the animals. But he did do that for us. He had a plan set up. And again, that's the one that the angels were looking at and saying, how come not us? You know, we do exactly what you want us to do. We're, we're, we're here at your beck and call, and, and we won't even argue with you. And yet you do this for mankind. 
and they didn't understand and, and were anxious to know. The angels just didn't get it. They just desired to look in that First Peter 12, um, or not First Peter 12, First Peter 1 and 12, excuse me. Some general truths about our angels as we're looking at it. Angels experience feelings. We mentioned a while ago where they sing at, uh, uh, at, sang at creation. They sang at the announcement of Jesus' birth. They were happy. They were joyful. They were, uh, uh, were thrilled for a sinner to repent of his, of his sins. They don't die. Again, that goes back to their being eternal, and even though they fell, there's their, their their death is a live death. They don't die; they instead live forever in torment. And at least that's where they will wind up if we begin. It's um, they are real. Angels are real. They're not something in the comic books or in the TV series. The series. The TV series that we see on television. It's not, uh, it's not those kind of angels. These are angels that God uses to give us messages and to take care of us. They occupy a place in heaven and still do and still will, according to what the scriptures say. They're not, they're not going anywhere. They're not dying like we do. We die and then become spiritual. They're already a spirit. They're not going to change, but they're not going to die either. Here's the classification. Paul refers to them as the thrones, dominions, principalities uh, were part of the classification. He says this is what what we're fighting against. There's a a spiritual war, whether we realize it or not, going on all the time for our souls. Um, I think about uh, the uh, open your eyes so that you can see what I see, that, uh, that... we mentioned last week, we have no idea of what's going on in the spiritual world around us, how that's affecting our souls, how that we have angels fighting daily to keep us from joining where Satan and those are going. So even though we have we mess up, God has given us a point of, of grace and of, of forgiveness that the angels don't have. And yet we've got angels defending our, our, uh, our beings, our souls at this particular point. The rank and their function is implied in Romans 8 and Ephesians 1.12. talks about the hierarchy. It talks about Michael uh, <clears throat> and about how that uh, there are, as I said, kind of ordinary angels uh, and not ordinary angels, but that's all in that scripture. I want to move on to the ordinary angel. Okay, we're doing all right. Merely, a, it's a term that used to, to distinguish them from specific classifications of angels. Angels are not ordinary. <laughs> Even though we say, okay, this is ordinary angels, but then you got the archangels and you got the heavenly hosts, and so there's different spots. So I say that there's these are the ordinary angels. These are the ones that just carry the message. These may be the ones that are battling for our souls as well. We don't know. 
The cherubim is what we want to talk about this evening, though. These are a little bit different now. We're finally getting into some some real uh, angels, if you would. The cherub is singular, and of course cherubim is plural. It's found about 90 times in Scripture. I didn't realize there was that much, but they were in, in the Scripture about 90 times. And they were used uh, uh, as a... A particular messenger, particular guard primarily. And this one, this picture is what we think of when people talk about cherubims. They see this picture of Raphael, who, you know, the 16th century author, painter, and he painted this picture and it's been around ever since. And everybody thinks that there's, there are two angels looking up all the time and they're just babies. But that's not the way scripture describes them for us. The cherubim are usually depicted, well, I said that, so I'm going to move on to the next spot here. The angels were mentioned the first time, the cherubims actually was mentioned the first time to guard the tree of life when they expelled Adam and Eve out of the garden. That was their job. And they're described by Ezekiel with like this, somewhat like this picture, maybe you can get an idea, four faces, four wings, Eyes on their whole bodies and backs and hands, uh, something like human hands under the wings. I don't know if you can picture that or not. I have, even with the drawing, I have a hard time picturing uh, eyes on their whole body and uh, four faces and four wings. It's just something that would be to me frightening to run into. You know, I'm kind of glad I can't see them in a lot of ways because. I don't know if I would recover. There's a kind of an artist's rendition of that. They got three of the four faces showing the bears on the back. And uh, they look more like this than those cute little cupids that Raphael painted that we looked at just a moment ago. The cherubim had duties. All angels have duties, but the cherubim especially were given a certain or assigned tasks. They were either employed to do that or they were assigned to do it, whichever way you want to look at that. And one of them was to guard in that east, that uh, entrance, not east, the entrance to Eden. I think it was an east entrance, but I could be wrong. But it, that was where they were supposed to be, and they seemed to have a role also in guarding the throne of God, as according to Psalms 80. One and ninety nine one that they are also somehow employed in in being surrounding that throne uh, as guards. There's a pattern for the decorations in the tabernacle and Solomon's temple and Herod's temple, for that matter. They were they were on the ceiling. If you get if you can look at the uh, the uh, tabernacle study and look at the pictures on the inside of the tabernacle. There were golden walls, but on the ceiling were these cherubs that were in, uh, embroidered into the to material. So that the priests, when they went in there, they all, were always, in their minds, surrounded by heavenly things. It was always there. They had the candle stick on one side and the uh, showbread on the other side and the altar of incense. All these things 
had a meaning, spiritual meaning to them, and then they would look up at the ceiling, and even looking at the ceiling, they couldn't even, couldn't even take their eyes off of something that was designed to remind them of the holy place that they were in. <clears throat> the seraphim, we hear about the cherubims and the seraphim. Yes? Be careful that we we don't take the uh, the spiritual uh, symbolism of of these angels and what they look like uh, in a literal sense, uh, because uh, all that is 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 to, uh, for example, the uh, the angel uh, that had that turned every which way. And uh, it does just let us know that, you know, nothing escapes God. He's on top of everything. And I, I just, I think sometimes we, we're not careful we start looking at some of these descriptions as a literal description. And that kind of throws us off base of, of what the spiritual application truly is. That's true. That's true. It's very easy for us to do that to get these pictures in our head and you know and say that's what they look like or well, we we really don't know you know i mean we're it's I, I think about it like when when john in revelations was trying to describe heaven he just didn't have the right words uh so he tried to use the words that he had to uh to describe what he saw and this may, may be all that is it may not be actual they actually are that but they may look that way to him. I don't know for sure. Uh, I wasn't there. No, we, we weren't there to see them. So it's very difficult for us to understand whether it is part of just a symbol, symbolic picture or whether it's the, you know, the, the actual look that way. We do know from whether it's either that they were, were frightening to human beings. Whatever form they took, whatever they looked at, they, they, were, they were frightening and fascinating at the same time. So, yes. They're coming from a spiritual realm. And so it appears that perhaps they can manifest themselves for human, for communicating with humans in whatever way suits their their task. If they need to show up looking like they're ready to go to war because they're the angel of death, well, then maybe that's what they show up looking like, like a soldier. They're delivering good news, they're all in white robes. You know, I, I don't think that you know, the angel's actually floating around heaven with a flaming sword. That's a that's physical currency in a spiritual yeah. world. So, you know, I would propose not to get bogged down and spending too much time trying to understand or try to pin down exactly what they look like. When, and this is just Paul Mazzolano saying what he thinks, so let him think what they study. I, I think they can manifest themselves when doing the humans how they want. Well, the, the, 
and you're right, the humans have always had a hard time with things that are spiritual because our minds are just don't grasp that concept very well. Uh, we get a general idea of you know what the spiritual is like, but it's very, very elementary compared to what it's actually like. We, we, we're going to be very surprised, I think, when the time comes where we're going to be in trouble. Yes, Mike. Okay. Well, we have to remember, just picking up on the last several comments, but in the end, the writers are describing the angels that they saw uh, as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, yes, uh, not the angels may not always look the way that they have appeared to man. I think there's a certain currency there about uh, uh, they, they, they appear in certain ways to get a message across, you know what I'm saying? Uh, power or, you know, a blessing. But... Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that is giving this description through the mouth of Isaiah or through the mouth of, of, of John the Apostle. You know what I'm saying? It's not John the Apostle is so afraid that he makes stuff up. It's the Holy Spirit giving him voice to describe what he what he sees, you know. And uh, we, we interpret it in the context of what's going on. Uh, anyways. The point to remember, of course, is the descriptions we have have still been guided by the Holy Spirit, you know, right. through the various prophets that are possible. It's very, I think it's almost impossible for humans to put in the language, you know, in our language, something we can actually say this is exactly the way it is uh, because of that, you know, because our, our, our minds are finite and God's is not. And the spiritual world is not finite. It's, it's, you know, it's wide open compared to what we know. Uh, I, um, uh, I think it, it, it'd be like somebody trying to describe a marshmallow to you that had never seen one and tell you what it's like. You know, you need to see a marshmallow. You, well, what, it's, it's hard, but it's soft, and it's squishy, and it's sticky, but it's not sticky, and it makes your fingers white unless you cook it, and then it don't. And so, you know, you can go through all these things and, and still not know what the marshmallow is when you get done with it. And I think that a lot of that has to do with, with when men are trying to describe something that they've seen. Paul, uh, you know, said that a new man went to third heaven. He saw things that he can't can't say you know and i don't think it was that he was that he was uh uh forbidden not to talk but he was he just couldn't didn't have the words to do it and he couldn't uh he couldn't describe what he had seen what he had been through and uh, so uh oh we're in trouble <laughs> already it's good discussion i appreciate it i really do so let me take a look at the, fair, uh, the seraphim it was only mentioned once on, on a uh Remarkably, because we think about the cherubim and the seraphim, uh, it was in uh, Isaiah 6 and the verses uh, 1 through 7 it was mentioned. It had, according to the description, six wings, two to fly, two to cover their faces, two to cover their feet. I think most of this had to do with primarily the, uh, 
related to the nearness of God and to the to the holiness rather than than maybe what that actually is. Again, we go back to what uh, what was said a while ago about you know the getting caught up in too much in the description as opposed to what the reasons might have been. It uh, had <clears throat> excuse me had uh, two hand or had having hands and able to speak human, which the others wasn't mentioned that way. The cherubims weren't, but it was for the seraphim. And the role seemed to be to place to uh, praise God and and to lead in heavenly worship. And this is what we have the extent of for those. And I've got just a few minutes, so I'll try to tackle into the archangels real quick, and we'll see what happens. Um, mentioned by name only twice in uh, the scriptures. They seem to be ranked superior than other angels. Their duties appear to be to war against Satan and his forces. This is that spiritual warfare that I keep referring back to. Uh, to herald the return of Jesus on Judgment Day. That says that, that Michael will be there, but it also kind of infers that Gabriel will be there. And how many times have we seen a picture of artist renditions of Gabriel blowing his horn to announce you know, the second coming of Christ? So that may or may not be, but there's a picture of him here. So we, but he's implied as an arch, archangel, and uh, Michael, of course, is named as an archangel. Personally identified that way. Um, Michael was mentioned in Daniel a couple, well, three or four times in Daniel. Mentioned in Jude where he was battling with Satan over the the uh, body of Moses. Uh, and uh, he was called the Prince of Israel who will fight for God's people in perilous times. That's in Daniel 12, 1 through 3. So it, it, this fighting for the for Israel we see that and we know that he's still around he's not dead and that uh, he's still kind of in command of the army Don you got something did I see your hand go up okay <laughs> I'll try to get you there so um, they were uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry my voice is going away tonight so uh, there's Michael and he assisted the other angels that God sent to Daniel uh, he was called the Prince of Israel, who would fight for God's people and seen as a warrior angel. There's more to Michael. He was disputed with Satan, uh, the only angel specifically called an archangel. He was the only one that was actually named as the archangel Michael. Gabriel was not. He was implied that way. Likely, the angel mentioned to announce the return of Jesus in the air, First Thessalonians 4.16. And Gabriel was the only other angel that had a name that we know of, other than if we go back to the book of Enoch and uh, where we find those there uh, that are listed uh, as both good and bad, I think, are both in there. So we can see those there. But in, in the scriptures that we have that we call our Bible, uh, this is what we have marked. So he was uh, an implied archangel, as I've said, extra special angel, Messenger Deluxe. That's what I would classify Gabriel as. Uh, he explained to Daniel the vision of the ram and the revelation of the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks was, of course, the, the formula for when the Messiah would appear. This was the one where Herod said, hey, how come, you know, I, uh, when did you see, the, exactly when did you see this star, wise men? 
uh, because I got to get my calculator out here and check and see when it was, you know, if it was according to that prophecy, and sure enough, it was. So according to that, Herod said, let's, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm within three years, we'll kill all the babies, and then that way we won't have to worry about the coming Messiah. But it was all off of this, and Gabriel was the one that revealed that to uh, Daniel. Most angels are likely to cho- be chosen to announce the return of Jesus in the air. So is Michael, though. So we, we figure that both of them will probably be there for that. The apocryphal angels, these are the ones that I was re- talking about before in Enoch. We have Raphael, we have Uriel, Uriel excuse me, uh, Jeremiel, and one more. Whoop, I thought I had one more. Did I hit it? Nope, just those three. And uh, I have a... I have a young man on my school bus that's named Muriel. And it's the first time, you know, when when I found out that was his name, the first thing it thought to me, you know. And uh, uh, he's a special needs kid, and they named him Muriel. And I thought, hmm, you know, they're naming him after an angel. And I thought that was kind of interesting that he did that. Okay, I know I'm, got, I'm right out of time, and I didn't hear the second bell, but I know it's already buzzed so i've got a sheet back there for you if you want to look at it uh and take it with you uh if you got questions next week we'll try to do that again and thank you for your uh, comments and your attention this evening i appreciate it very much god bless you and have a good week and we'll see you lord willing next week